So we talked last week about how the whole of the Ten Commandments needs to be seen through the lens of God wanting his people to be a kingdom of priests to all the world. And it's not just the Ten Commandments that are like that. It's all the other commandments. God wants them to be a people who represent God to other people. Because that's what priests are. They bring people to God. And it was their hope, God's hope, that this is, this is how God's people would function, is that they would be a light to the world. Now, it's crazy that we've turned that into their sins I've got to not commit. Now, yes, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, all those. Yes, we're with you. I'm, I, I am a strong opponent of stealing unless it benefits me. Unless you're just like, you know what? I don't want to walk all the way back into Walmart, but I've got to. There's something in me, it's probably a Church of Christ gene that makes me return pens when I've walked out with them. Because God might get angry with me. Now, I know that not to be true. But there is something neat that happens when you walk back in with a pen and say, hey, I'm sorry, forgot a pen. The person that was at the DMV that was not being all that kind in the first place, sometimes they light up. I'm like, oh, that is so nice of you. So what I've learned to do is you steal the pens on purpose <laughs> and then walk back in with them and be like, I'm such a good person. What happens, and this just happens whenever you do anything that looks different than what the world would do. Now, returning a pen is some nonsense. But when you live in a way that doesn't represent the brokenness of creation, but live in a way that projects the hope of God, the peace we find in Christ, that loving people the way God has loved people, the way God has loved us. When you do that to the world, when you, when you love, when you project God to the people, they notice. And we do not do it so that they will notice us. We do it so that they will notice God. We do it so that, when, that, that there's something about this God that's worth noticing. Man, we've, we, can, we can mess that up sometimes. Where I've got it right. Aren't, isn't it hilarious that the sins that make us angry are the ones we don't have? That the sins we, we re, re, that just people need to figure out or people need to stop. People, 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 people. You forget that person that shares the same brain as you. You forget that person that's struggling with all the stuff that you've accepted really 
for a while now. You forget how much forgiveness you've been given and how much grace you've been allotted. But when we turn Christianity into sort of a contest about who, who cannot sin the most, who can sin the least, We've got our lists, and little, well, I do these sometimes, but some of those people do those. In that, even if you were perfect, even if you figured it all out and you've, you, had, you had done all the things that God said to do, you would go to Sunday morning, uh, you worship and you worship God and you take communion and you sing praises and you don't go to Wednesday night because you cannot find that in the Bible. And so on, and you get it all right. And you stay away from all the things, all the things they told you to stay away from in Red Ribbon Week whenever you were in school. And you, 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 you stopped, you didn't say those words. Now you had some pretty good replacements. You know, when the world was off sinning with their swears, you had the Christian versions. And you did all the right things. You did them all in the right way. You'd have to ask yourself this question. Did you represent God to the world at all? Arrogant righteousness doesn't project the love of God. Did you, were you a kingdom of priests? My goodness, it's easy to go through the Ten Commandments. Say, I don't lie about my neighbor. I haven't murdered in a while. My wife got mad at me the other day because I was taking a Sabbath on the couch. <laughs> she didn't really. But maybe yours did. You feel like you got them. You can go through the Ten Commandments and you can say, well, this is what I've, got, I've got these down. But are you a kingdom of priests? Or are you just successful in a list? Exodus 20 does not help us if we don't have Exodus 19 in mind. What's the goal of the covenant? It's for us to represent God or for the Israelites to represent God to the world. And when Jesus comes and there's a new covenant, it's not just a new set of rules. It's not just a new set of commandments. It's a, it's a new covenant with people who are now, they are representing God to the world as Jesus as their king. That's it. So we may look at the list and, so, and say, well, I've got that one checked off. Ready? Especially this first one. The scripture says, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Can we just all high five and go home? Or do we need to take a minute and say, no, the answer is no, Landon, you can't high five anybody. He started to. 
He was ready. The, do we need to listen to the words the way they would have heard them? I think that's helpful. Because you're standing at the foot of the mountain hearing God say, you shall have no other gods before me. And as an American, we might proclaim, well, I don't have any other gods but that God. That's apparently how Americans sound. But they would have heard it. And they would have thought, all right, that's going to be tough. Because they knew what gods he was talking about. They had just spent a long time in Egypt. Egypt has a lot of gods. Just like Assyria had a lot of gods in Greece and usually Rome and all the places that you could go in the ancient world, you'd walk into those places and they would have a lot of gods. Egypt had Ra and Thor. That's a joke. They didn't have Thor. <laughs> Egypt had their gods and those gods had similar backstories and similar uh, backgrounds, but the gods of Egypt rarely traipsed over into the gods of the Persians. They kind of had their own things. It was based on where you lived, really. If you lived in this place, these were your gods, and if you moved... You had to bow down to somebody else. Gods were pretty geographic in that way. This place had, you know, it's like really powerful mascots. Where, yeah, in Egypt, you might have worshipped Ra, Amun, or... You move some, somewhere else. I don't know what just happened. Am I wrong about the gods of Egypt? Okay, I'm good. All right. Just when the praise team start giggling into their microphones, I get a little anxious. So there, when, the, when, when, when you're in Egypt, you worship this one thing. And when you're else, elsewhere, you probably just go with the crowd and worship whatever's there. But God here is saying, you will be a kingdom of priests, and step one is no other gods will be before me. Now, part of us would go, wait, hold on, God, I've got a, I've got a critique. Because we'd say, aren't there, aren't, there, there aren't any other gods. What's beautiful about this is God may, will later say, there are no other gods but the one true God. There are no other gods but the one true God, and the one true God is Yahweh. But when they had come out of centuries of living in Egypt, he tells them, you shall have no other gods 
but me. My goodness, a God who meets us where we are and takes us where we need to be. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than some sort of theology of knowing, well, there's, there's this God, but maybe there's a lesser God. And it's bigger than that. When, when they, what they understood about gods is that the gods ruled over their kingdoms. They had their rule. They had their power. They had their authority. And Jesus tore that down. God decided that's going to be done away with, that he was going to be the one God. And he told his people, First out of the gate, if you're going to be a kingdom of priests, we will no longer, you will no longer have any gods that separate you. You're going to worship the gods that calling all of creation to himself. Not because God is greedy, but because, because God loves his creation. That we will no longer be divided by earthly things that we worship. And all of a sudden, we're there at the foot of the mountain learning again how to be a kingdom of priests, aren't we? Because we have things that divide us, and we wouldn't have called them gods. We, would, we, would never, we wouldn't call them idols, and that's a different thing altogether. But we have things we worship, stances we've taken, And you've got to ask yourself, and I'm not here saying it's important to, well, just be a centrist and get along with everybody. That's nonsense. People are difficult. And sometimes wrong. But the question is not, do they have the right opinion or do I have the right opinion? Are they, do they have the wrong opinion or do I have the wrong opinion? The question is, are, are we united under this God who brought us out of slavery? Are we united under this God enough to be a kingdom of priests representing God to the world? And is the thing you're arguing about or the way in which you're arguing it, is it worth showing, sh showing your tail, we called it in Arkansas, Is the way you're interacting with the world showing them that you are a part of a kingdom that represents the God who rescued you? I have been in difficult places where I needed to argue my point, or I could have. And I, at times, spoke up and said, this isn't right, this isn't the way it should be, so on and so forth. I've also had people who agreed with me in those moments that I didn't want standing beside me. Because the way we talk about the things we are passionate about, the way we interact with the world, that matters. You can be right all day long and not represent the king. You can have the right opinions, the right thoughts. You can have the right interpretations of Scripture. And I think I do. Don't you? Not me, but you think you do too. I'm not brave enough to ask that first question out loud. But it, 
if you are not exuding the fruit of the Spirit, if you are not representing the God who rescued you, if you are not showing the world the love and grace and compassion of Jesus while you have your opinion, right or wrong as it may be, your thoughts aren't going to redeem anybody. But your attitude might. An attitude that has the, temp, the temple doors thrown open and the city calling out to the rest of the world, come on. And you know what happens when the city shows up? When the, the cities of the world show up at your city? They bring their gods. They bring their brokenness. They bring their newfangled and their old-fashioned ideas. And we don't have signs at the door that say, Here are the, here's the doctrine, here's the creed. Say it like this, do it like so. But the doors are open and the king is exalted. When we have no other gods, at least what the, the way the, those Israelites would have heard it, is we have no other ruler and that as, as, and we aren't a part of any of those groups, there is no division. We are calling all of those divided groups to the king. And I, I'm with you. I really think it would be a lot easier if everyone would just listen to logic and reason. If I could just stand in front of group after group and say, well, here's the point and here's why you're wrong and here's where a great way to think about it would be this and a great, a great way to understand it would be that and there you go. But I've been preaching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for, for 17 years now. 15. I round up to the nearest prime. I've, and oh, and what I've learned is that people, one sermon doesn't change anybody. I've taught the same thing twice in a four-year span and had the same person come up to me both times and say, I've never thought about it like that before. <laughs> the first time I thought, oh, I'm pretty impressive. And the second time, I thought the opposite. Is <laughs> so what I realized was that you don't you don't change people from a pulpit. You change them from a table. You change them in a home. You change them along the way. It's this long process. And guess what? You're going to have to put up with some fools at your table, just like. People put up with you when you were one too. You might not suffer a fool anymore. You may have gotten to that point in your life. I just don't suffer fools. But in the end, that's just not the way of the king. When we are a people of God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation ruled by a king, Jesus, 
what we are called to is to put up with the fools. It's to disagree in kindness and in love. What we were called to is we are a nation. Now, speak your mind, of course. Sit at the table, argue. That's great. But being tired of a people just comes with being a kingdom of priests. We are called to have no other gods but the one who has called us to represent him to this world. And when we have no other gods, we have no other allegiances except that God's kingdom be holy and glorified.